Hi, Scott and John here. Yeah, folks, the world is fast approaching the end game, and we are trying to expose the upcoming deception before time runs out. We want to make this a full-time goal, and we need your support to fight the satanic global elite. So here's how you can help. Subscribe to the new Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast to listen to every episode ad-free. Plus, get full access to our special guest interviews and special events, downloadable show notes, our Bible Mysteries monthly newsletter, and access to a new community forum. Sure. So just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com or you can click the uh, link in the show notes to get started today. Thanks again. Welcome to Bible Mysteries. You're listening to episode number 21, Symbolism of the Occult. What if there are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know? Are you ready to take the red pill? And now, here are your hosts, Scott and Zena. Hello, and once again, welcome to Bible Mysteries Podcast. I'm Scott Mitchell, here with... Zena. Zena, the warrior princess. <laughs> and we are going to talk about the things in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know. Zena, are you ready for some more red pilling? I am. Good. So we took a pretty heavy pill last week, huh? We did, and that was a heavy pill to swallow. It was. It's hard to think about such atrocities that were done in the past. But then it's more sobering to realize it's being done secretly now. I know. Nothing is new under the sun. That's right. So we're going to discuss a little bit more about the satanic global elite, but we're going to focus our attention this week, kind of a little bit of a break from the from the, the sobering thought from last time. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to talk about the symbolism of the occult, because cult simply means hidden. Mm-hmm. The word occult means hidden. And the satanic global elite are hidden from our view. We don't know who they are, but we know they operate behind the scenes because we know Satan is the God of this world. Mm -hmm. We know he has his principalities and powers, his fallen angels. We know they direct the affairs of men. We know, as we talked about, that when he offered Christ all the kingdoms of the world and he rejected it, he turned around and offered those to men. Very true. So men that become ultra rich aren't that way by accident. Or hard work. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing wrong with hard work to make wealth, and that's a good thing. But then there's the people that can actually control nations and enslave men and, and oppress men and take advantage. And so that type of power is satanic. Yep, greed. So they believe in symbolism, and I'll tell you the reason why. Symbolism, or types, are throughout the Bible. And God has symbols and types. We'll talk about both, symbols and types. And we'll start with types. So God lays out individuals in the Bible who represent things. You know, you've got a man like Abraham, and in certain ways, he's an allegory of God the Father. And then he's got a son, his only son named Isaac, who in certain ways is a type of Christ. Mm -hmm. And then we had bad guys like Nebuchadnezzar, who is a type of Satan or the Antichrist. So we see types. And then we'll talk about some Christian symbolism just to get an idea. Most people are pretty familiar with things like crosses and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But Satan wants to be God, so he wants to be like God. Mm -hmm. He has his types and he has his symbols. Very true. So we're going to look at some of those today and hopefully inform our listeners about some things they can start looking for in common everyday media and culture. Mm -hmm. Satanic symbols are there and they're being promoted in a subliminal way to encourage our children to accept them. That is very scary. Very scary. Very scary. So God uses figures, types, and allegories 
in the Bible. And we're going to start in the book of Hebrews, a New Testament book, because the word is very clearly used there as figure. You know, we have a figure of something. So it's Hebrews chapter 9, verse 6, where we're talking about the temple, the tabernacle, first with Moses, the temple later with Solomon, that was to worship God, and they had a priesthood. And they had all these things they did, services and these things that represented this and that and the other. And the Hebrew author says, now, when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone. And he's talking about in the tabernacle, there was an outer and an inner sanctuary. Mm -hmm. The outer sanctuary, all the priests could go into. The inner sanctuary, only the high priest could go into once a year. And interestingly enough... They made his garment, his robe, with little bells on tassels at the bottom so that they tinkled when he walked. And they bound a rope around his ankle because if he was in the sanctuary at that time of the year and he should happen to die, like maybe I had a heart attack or ate too much, you know, brisket or something that day, (laughs) (laughs) or he passed out or something, they couldn't go in to get him because they would die. So they would have to pull him out. If the bell stopped tinkling, they knew something happened. Right. So they pulled him out. Wasn't that the same priest that was that did the sacrificing as well? Right. Okay. Yes. The high priest did the final sacrifice at the end of the year for all of Israel. You know, there, there were many individual sacrifices throughout mm-hmm. the year. But once a year they did the on the Feast of Atonement, they did the sacrifice for all the children of Israel. Mm-hmm. And the blood of that sacrifice was sprinkled on the lid of the ark where the tables of stone from Moses were and things like that. Mm-hmm. And the ark, the lid of the ark was called the mercy seat. And God was supposed to dwell between the wings of the cherubs on the top of the mercy seat. His spirit dwelt there. So when they sprinkled the blood on it, it sort of had the act or the symbolism of covering the law with blood so God couldn't hold them accountable for their transgressions for that year. Okay. When Christ came and died, he went to the true inner sanctuary and his blood covered all the sins. But the blood of animals was symbolic of him. That's why the animal was a lamb, because Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. Mm -hmm. So you can see already, you're beginning to form in your mind, these were images of other things, you know, figures of other things. So into the second, their inner holy sanctuary, went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people, just like we said. The Holy Ghost was signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. Now that's some heavy language right there. Yes. Where a Jewish priest would understand more what what he was saying than you and I would, right? But the Bible is basically letting you know that every year the priest would go in, sprinkle this blood, and it had the effect of temporarily giving remission for sins. But it didn't take away sins completely. It didn't remove sin from the person. Mm -hmm. And therefore, a consciousness of sin remained each year. And so they would continue to bring their other sacrifices. And when he said it was signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, the true holy of holies, the true inner sanctuary is heaven. Yes. Where God is. Mm -hmm. So no, we didn't have direct access to God until the perfect sacrifice came. So the lamb and the priesthood and everything else was all symbolic of what would be happening when Christ died 
at the cross, mm-hmm. okay? So now you're getting an idea of what figures are, symbolism, okay? In Galatians chapter 4, Paul wrote this book, and he says in verse 22, it is written that Abraham had two sons. Abraham's two sons were Ishmael and Isaac. Now, when remember, Abraham was really old and his wife Sarah was really old. They were well past childbearing years. Mm-hmm. When God said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And he's like, well, how are you going to do that? Yeah. I'm 100. She can't bear children. She's mm-hmm. 80 or 90. And uh, so he thought, well, maybe he meant for me to go into Sarah's handmaiden, Hagar. And Sarah said, yeah, that must be what he meant. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived and bare Abraham's son, Ishmael. But she was a bondmaid. She was a servant, Hagar. She was an Egyptian servant to Abraham. So the child was not born free. He was born out of bondage. God said, no, that's not the child I told you. I said, Sarah would conceive. Your wife will conceive. See, Abraham at first didn't believe God could do it. And then he went, oh, you're right. You can do anything, you know. (laughs) So she eventually bore Isaac. Okay. Isaac, who was the father of Israel, Mm -hmm. the the man Jacob, whose name became Israel. So God had a lineage planned to defeat the Nephilim, to defeat Satan's seed, right? Well, Abraham made a mistake when he thought, I'll I'll fix this. God must want me to work this out myself, you know. So that Ishmael grew up to be, to war against his son Isaac, all right? He grew up to be five, you know, had five kingdoms and five dukes and whatever. So they became a problem later on. But they still were, you know, Abraham's children. So they had a blessing, but they weren't intended to be the one that would bring forth Israel, okay? So... Paul is trying to say that all this happened, and it's a picture of something. Mm -hmm. It happened, it was real, it was history, and they were real human beings, but they're types of something else. Now, the type is a little bit tricky to understand because most people today think of Isaac, precursor to the Jews, Ishmael, precursor to the Arabs or Muslims. Mm -hmm. But Paul says that's not what the allegory is. So I'm about to blow everybody's mind. I know, you're blowing mine right now. Ishmael is the father of the Arab, okay? Because here's what he says. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, Isaac, Mm -hmm. the other by a free woman. Oh, excuse me. Ishmael, the bondmaid, Isaac from the free woman. Mm -hmm. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. It wasn't God's uh, promise. But he of the free woman was by promise. So we know Sarah, the mother of Isaac, that's the free woman. That's the promise, John. Mm-hmm. Hagar, the mother of Ishmael, she's the bondwoman. He's the child that's not of promise. He's the child of the flesh. Paul says, which things are an allegory, symbols, types. For these are the two covenants. The one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth or brings birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. In other words, he's saying Ishmael represents Israel rejecting Christ, remaining under the law of Moses. Jerusalem is still in bondage to the law of Moses, which came from Mount Sinai. Ishmael is the type of that, not a type of Arabs, a type of Israel, Jew, still under the law. 
Okay, that makes more sense. Does it? Okay. <laughs> and But Jerusalem, he says, which is above is free, which is the mother of us all. Jerusalem above is the new Jerusalem, the city of God mm-hmm. in heaven. It's a free city. It's never been in bondage to anybody. She, Sarah, represents new Jerusalem. And since in Christ it says we're all Abraham's seed and he's our father Abraham, mm-hmm. indirectly, you know, through, through faith, well, then his wife Sarah is our mother. Yes. She's the type of new Jerusalem. That's a beautiful picture to me. Isn't I just it? think that's amazing. I want to go to that new Jerusalem. <laughs> I, do. I don't like the one we're here. I do too. I do too. So in the type, you've got Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, freedom, promise, God's protection. Yes. You've got Hagar and Ishmael, Israel under the law, bondage. Don't want that. Nobody wants that. Why mm-hmm. do you want to be in bondage to the law? So a lot of people don't realize that that was the reason for that. That was the symbolism. That was the allegory. Okay. So people in the Bible are types, all right? Well, I've mentioned Abraham before. Let's talk about him a little bit. In Genesis, Genesis chapter 22. Now, when Abraham did that and made um, his son is Ishmael, right? Ishmael was the son born of the flesh. Okay. So whenever he you know, had an adultery with the maid, did God ever punish Ishmael or Abraham for that? No, he didn't punish him for that, other than the fact that he said, because you did this, the child is going to be a wild man and his hand is going to be against every man. Okay. So I think that's the verse that makes a lot of people think that he's the, the Muslim because of the way Islam spread through the sword and all that kind of thing. But Christianity's got a bad, you know, uh, history too, yeah, of being spread through war and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think of like the the Spanish Inquisition and other things, and maybe not quite as violent, but still, death is death. Yeah, you know. So I don't believe it's necessarily that. You know, he it, it it pertained at the time, but you know, there wasn't an Islam until 600 A.D. Whoa. This is like 2000 B.C. Or, or something. My goodness. You know, this is, so that's a long time to wait for a guy to show up called his, it must yeah. be, you know. So I'm not so sure I buy all that. But, I mean, I could be wrong about that, but I don't think that was the reason he was doing that. The allegory tells me he's a type of Israel in bondage, Israel under the law, you mm-hmm. know. So after Isaac is born, and he is the child of promise, and he's the only child of Abraham, this happens. In Genesis 22, verse 1, it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. Now, we were just talking about offering your children unto Moloch. Yes. Right? Now, he's a he's a grown young man. Isaac is not a baby now. He's probably 16, 17. He could take old man. He can take Abraham. He's 110 now or 120, right. you know. So it's not like he's going to, uh, you know, be able to wrestle this guy down and <laughs> throw him in the fire. So God's asking him to do it. So he's tempting him. And what what is he thinking, you know? Well, God doesn't want him to offer a human sacrifice. So Abraham must know something. He would never do that which is evil since he followed God and he's called the friend of God. So he knows something. We're going to figure it out here in a minute. Okay. So Abraham rose up early in the morning and he saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and clave the wood, means they bound up the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place which God had told him, the land of Moriah. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. 
And I can assure you that place he was going to is probably Mount Calvary. Okay. Um, he, did, he wasn't named that at the time. but <laughs> And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Now, God told him, go offer him a burnt offering. So Abraham tells the servant men, the young men, stay here. I'm going to take the boy. We're going to go worship God, and we're going to come back. Now, if Abraham knows he's going to kill his son, he lied. Mm -hmm. But if he believes that God could raise him from the dead, he's telling the truth. Very true. In other words, he knows God can raise the dead. He knows God made a promise that from his seed would come a great nation. So Abraham's saying, I have no trouble doing this. I know my, my God is going to bring my son right back alive. Right. I mean, he brought, he allowed Sarah to bear him. So That's right. So he has faith that God's going to do something here. So that's why when he said that to the men, he wasn't lying. I think he was saying, yeah, we're coming back. Mm -hmm. I trust God. So it shows his faith. So he took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. Now think about that. Isaac, you carry the wood for your own sacrifice. <laughs> That's the worst. That's like carrying the shovel and you're getting ready to, like, you know, dig your own grave. Exactly, like making dig your own grave. But even more than that, we're talking about types, right? Mm -hmm. Who was made to carry the wood of his cross? Jesus. Isaac is a type of Christ. Mm -hmm. Carry the wood. You carry the wood for your sacrifice. Laid it on his shoulder. As laid it on his son, he took the fire in his hand and a knife and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father. Now, I like this part because he's asking a question. What's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> he said, my father. And he said, here I am, I am my son. He said, behold, the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? You know, he says, we're going to go worship and come back, but there's no lamb. Mm -hmm. You got to know the guy saw that too, you know. And so Isaac's asking him, where's the lamb? Now, the answer Abraham gives to me is one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible. Because Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Now, he didn't say God himself is going to provide a lamb. Mm -hmm. He said God will provide himself a lamb, a prophecy of Jesus Christ, the lamb of God. Mm -hmm. It's just amazing the way God wrote this book. You know, right? so they went both of them together and they came to the place which God had told them of. Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And you got to know Isaac was willing because he couldn't have caught him if he ran away. Oh, no, he not was, at all. He was willing to do that. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. He was about to kill him. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here am I. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went up and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Now God did provide a ram for him, but that's not a lamb. Right. A ram is a fully grown male sheep mm -hmm. with horns. A lamb, well, you've seen lambs. They're they so don't, cute. They're so cute. They're the little innocent animals that were killed for sacrifices, mm -hmm. right? So you can see why, uh, symbolically speaking, every time a person in Israel brought their lamb for a sacrifice, they literally laid their hands on the head of the lamb, symbolizing the passing of their sin to an innocent animal. And then they would kill the animal by slitting its throat. I know. 
they would drain the blood into a basin and, and sprinkle that blood on the altar. So you could see how all of that, you know, imagine how bad you would have felt right? to see that you raised that lamb. You, you raised the sheep that bore the lamb, the you that bore the lamb. And, uh, and then you've got to bring it as a sacrifice, you know. So, I know. But so what's the significance of the ram instead of a lamb? Well, because a male sheep could be used as a sacrifice. A male bullock, a male lamb. Females were never used for sacrifices. Okay. Because they're all pictures of Christ. Right. So, but the fact that it was a ram to me is significant because when Abraham said God will provide himself a lamb and a lamb is not a ram, then he was pointing to Jesus Christ in the statement. Okay. Because God could have found a lamb caught somewhere. He could have just made a little lamb walk up to him, but it wasn't. It was a fully grown sheep Mm -hmm. and a male at that. And sheep can butt. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> rams, that's why they're called yeah. rams, because they butt you, you know, so it was caught in the thicket by his horns, so this would have been, yeah, that's why Isaac needed to be there, because he probably had to wrestle I was going to say, I hope he, like, you know, <laughs> untied him and got Isaac to help him. Oh, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure they did, and then they, they slew the, the ram and killed it for the sacrifice in the place of Isaac, but the picture of Abraham representing God the Father Isaac representing God the Son is very clear in the story, Mm -hmm. and that's what's so beautiful about symbolism and typology, okay? There's another one, and this is Psalm chapter 22. So David wrote this psalm. David went through some really bad times. Uh, Even before he was king, he went through a lot of bad times. And so he wrote this himself about his own circumstances. Okay. And he says, and you'll recognize this first one. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Have you ever heard that before? I have. Do you, do you remember where? And I'm not, it's not a quiz. I'm just wondering if you recall it. I, it wasn't there like a, a farmer or he, like a farmer and he's, all of his kids died. You're thinking of Job. Okay. And that's close because in a sense, that's a type too. Okay. But it was actually the words that Jesus Christ himself said on the cross. Really? At the point when they nailed him to the cross, God essentially imputed the trespasses of the world unto him because he had to be cursed to die for us. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, think of it figuratively, God can't look upon sin, so he would have, in a sense, turned his back on his son. Jesus Christ, the son, and God, the father, had constant communion with each other every moment of every day. Spirits connected, prayer you know, mm-hmm. thought processes, everything. At that moment that God turned his back, Christ was alone okay. from the Father. And he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He cites David's psalm. He literally re- re- cries out with these words. And, but, the, but the psalm goes on. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, and not silent. Now think of David saying these words, but picturing a prophecy of Christ. Okay. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted and didst del- and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. The very words that the Jews said when he was on the cross. 
Why don't you let God come deliver you if you're the son of God? They yeah. taunted him. They teased him. Uh, but thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. For there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me, surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. And someday we'll do a study about the bulls of Bashan. And it's, it's basically these giants. It's like the spirits of the Nephilim were laughing as Christ died on that cross, surrounding him in the, in the spiritual realm. Mm. You know? uh, they gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels, my innards. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me, surrounded me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. And the dogs, he was referring to within like the Roman Gentiles. The assembly of the wicked were the Jewish council. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They parted my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. You know, Jesus had a garment when they crucified him. And the Roman centurions cast lots to determine who would win it. And they took his and they didn't want to tear it in two because there were two of them. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want to rend it because a piece of fabric was expensive. So they cast dice to see who would win it. They gambled for his last bit of clothing. That's terrible. Hi, we hope you're enjoying the podcast, but I want to take a moment to remind you of something very important. There are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know. And the world is fast approaching the end game, And we want to expose the coming deception before time runs out. Freedom of speech is under attack, and evil elements within governments and multinational corporations are trying to prevent you from learning the truth. Scott and I are being censored by social media platforms as we speak. This is true, so you can help us use the satanic global elite's own tools against them. Subscribe to Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast so the controlled media can't shut us down. We can use our own platforms to help expose them and keep you informed, but to do that, we need your support. Help us to go full-time with Bible Mysteries. Just $7 a month gives you every current episode ad-free without these annoying appeals. You also get full access to our special guest interviews and special events, downloadable show notes, our Bible Mysteries monthly newsletter, and access to the community forum where we answer your questions. Just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com to help us stop the assault on Christianity and free speech. And don't forget, you can always donate any amount to support us at utbnow.com. These gifts are tax deductible. Thanks again, and here's the show. All this was fulfilled on the cross. David is a type of Christ. He's a prophet, he's a king, but he's a picture of Jesus Christ, you know. So it's just amazing to me how the Bible does that. And, you know, 1,500 years before Christ was born, this was written and nobody had any idea. Right. What he was referring to. So God has types. Satan has types as well. Oh, yeah. Yes, he does. So we already know about one of them in Isaiah 14. We've come up with the name Lucifer, right? Yes. Okay. Well, in that same chapter, he's not just referred to as Lucifer. All right? Starting in verse 4 in Isaiah 14, we read, Thou shalt take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, How hath the oppressor ceased, the golden city ceased? 
The Lord hath broken the staff of the wicked and the scepter of the rulers. He who smote the people in wrath with a continual stroke. He that ruled the nations in anger is persecuted and none hindereth. Nobody stops him. The whole earth is at rest and is quiet. They break forth into singing. And the idea here he's saying, the guy that was oppressing us is gone. Mm -hmm. The king of Babylon has been punished. Yea, the fir trees rejoice at thee, and the cedars of Lebanon, saying, Since thou art laid down, no feller is come up against us. And feller is not southern for fella. <laughs> <laughs> a feller is somebody who chops down trees. Oh, okay. It's called felling trees when you cut them down. Like a lumberjack. Like a lumberjack. That's the okay. modern word. That's exactly right. A feller is a lumberjack. And some lumberjacks are gals, not fellers. <laughs> <laughs> he says, Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. It hath raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. And by the way, the word dead in that passage is Repha, which is Rephaim, the giants mm -hmm. of Canaan. They're in hell. Uh, all they shall speak and say unto thee, Art thou also become weak as we? Art thou become like unto us? Thy pomp, you know, your 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 ceremony is brought down to the grave and the noise of thy veils. The worm is spread under thee and the worms cover thee in hell. Remember we talked Those about the worm? Maggots. Yes. Ooh. Covering them. And then the very next verse says, how art thou fallen from heaven? O Lucifer, son of the morning. The king of Babylon is a type of the devil. Lucifer mm -hmm. is the king of Babylon, right? In this context, how art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Lucifer is pictured as the king of Babylon, who was a real person, Nebuchadnezzar, mm -hmm. right? And he was an oppressor. There's another type, and we talked about this one not too long ago, so I'm going to be reminding you of something that was not that far away that we discussed um, a little bit about Judas. Remember okay. Judas? I do remember Judas. Okay, so Christ said in, in John 17, verse 12, While I was with them in the world, he's praying to the Father, and it's right before he's about to be offered up to be crucified. And he says, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition. You remember that term, the son of I perdition? Do. And that means destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. So the son of perdition, remember we said there was only one other person in the Bible besides Judas that was called the son of perdition, and it's the Antichrist. Mm -hmm. So Judas is a type of the Antichrist. He's a real person that mm -hmm. really lived, just as Abraham being a type of God, and Isaac is a type of Christ and David, but Judas is a type of the Antichrist. And Paul, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, said, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day, the day of Christ, shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God, just like Lucifer. So the Antichrist is basically the seed of Lucifer, mm -hmm. right? And Judas is his picture. Judas is his type. So you can see in the Bible, types are relevant. They're real, mm -hmm. you know. And so one thing can represent another. It, was, it represented exactly who it was at the time, Abraham, a man. 
but a picture of him as God the Father in a form, in a figure. Same with the devil, same thing. So when we talk about symbolism, well, we know some of the Christian symbols. You're familiar with, it's a Jewish symbol, but unleavened bread, part of the Passover. Yes. It's bread without yeast. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's what they ate. And it's a picture of Christ who had no sin because leaven is considered um, sin or uh, bad doctrine. Okay, mm -hmm. so unleavened bread means no sin, pure doctrine. He says, you know, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, and he meant the doctrine of the Pharisees. So it's a picture of Christ. It's a picture of sinlessness and pure doctrine, okay? Wine represents yes. the blood of Christ, mm -hmm. right? Okay. The bread represents his body, yes. okay? The cross represents suffering and sacrifice. He was crucified on a tree with a cross, but... When he says, take up your cross and follow me, he doesn't mean you literally go get crucified on your own tree. He means you're going to bear the burden of suffering for Christ. Right? Okay. Okay. Rock, the rock, foundation, Jesus Christ. He's the rock, the rock of our salvation. The sword, the word of God. It says the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. When Christ comes back, he says there's a sword out of his mouth. It's the word of God. Okay. Okay. So the sword represents the word of God. White robes given to the saints represents purity, righteousness. Mm -hmm. His righteousness that we exchanged for our sin when he died. Is that why mm -hmm. uh, brides get married in white dresses? Purity. Okay. Yeah, the idea is it used to be symbolic of their virginity. Okay. Right. And then incense, right? And especially in as it pertained to like the temple worship and things, God likes good smells and myrrh and frankincense and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, it represents the prayers of the saints in the Bible, in the book of Revelation. Okay? okay. So now you see lots of symbols that they're in the Bible and they, they are real things, but they mean other things too. Okay. Well, guess who also has his symbols? Oh, that wannabe God. <laughs> so leaven represents sin. So Satan's doctrine is leaven. Mm -hmm. It's bad, right? We've already talked about when Christ called the Pharisees vipers and serpents, right? Yes. That's satanic children. You know, they weren't really snakes, but snakes were representative of being that which is aligned with the dragon, the yes. serpent, right? The flying ephah, remember that? That basket-like thing? Yes. Okay. And he said, this is wickedness. There was a woman and he cast a lid on top of it and the two women with storks and like their wings mm -hmm. like storks took it to the land of Shinar, right? Babylon, back to Babylon. So there's something about wickedness in the flying ephah. So it's an actual basket of measure, but in the Bible it represents something pertaining to Mystery Babylon, yes. the mother of harlots. I think it's a picture of Mystery Babylon. Mystery Babylon herself is a coded language for the apostate Jerusalem. We saw that last week, mm -hmm. right? Horns, like on the dragon, represented those satanic kings. Like the That's ten right. keys, the ten toes also, mm -hmm. right? Thorns and thistles represent false prophets. Really? Yeah, thorns and thistles. So, and, and you know, when they came up, you know, God said, uh, uh, I'll allow the, the false prophets to stay in the land to test you, to try you, to see if you'll listen to me or listen to them. And they will be as thorns and briars unto you. you okay. Right? right? And just like he said... Um, you know, trees represent things too, you know, and we talked about a good tree brings good fruit and a bad tree brings bad fruit. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like the works of men, okay. you know, uh, tares, which are weeds that look just like wheat. And if you're a farmer and you're growing wheat, you plant wheat. And if tares came up, you would root them out. 
But tares look just like wheat until they bud, I mean, until they um, yield forth the grain. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, man, that was tares. That was weeds. You know? <laughs> and there's a parable where Christ said a man planted wheat and an enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. Okay. And he, and he said, should we root out the tares from the wheat? And he said, no, let it stay till the harvest. Then we'll gather the wheat into our barns and we'll cast the tares into the fire. So tares represent false brethren. Okay. Fake Christians. You know, they're really satanic, but they're, uh, they're in disguise. And then idols. I know this one. You know that one? <laughs> Those are false gods. False gods. All the images, right? All the idolatry. So even though they're different shapes and sizes and forms and fashion, they all represent something that's mm-hmm. a lie. It's a deception. So all those are satanic symbols. So if he's got symbols, and we know there's, there's figures and things like that, he's got his own iconography or imagery that today men use. So let's look at some of those. The Ankh. Is one. Oh, okay. Now I know. Okay. You've seen that before. I have seen that now, before. Now, for the benefit of our listeners, this kind of looks like a cross, but imagine it's more like a stick figure man with a big head, mm-hmm. but he's a stick body with his arms out like a cross and his legs together as one. So it's really like the letter T with sort of an omega or horseshoe symbol on top yeah, of it. Yeah. Okay. It kind of looks like a lollipop that you get from... The banks. Oh, <laughs> I never thought of that, but you're right. Maybe the banks are involved in this. <laughs> right? I wouldn't doubt it. Bankers, satanic global elite. I can see the connection. You know, greed, money, the <laughs> root right. of all evil. That's right. Well, it's actually an ancient Egyptian sign of a staff, and it's also known as the god staff, and Ankh is believed to be the hieroglyphic symbol of sexual union and reproduction. So we're always back to that fertility thing. Yep. I shouldn't have ate that lollipop. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think you're going to be held accountable for that. <laughs> now, the all-seeing eye is, the, is a very predominant symbol today in modern culture. Yes. You're going to see it all over music videos, yeah. everywhere, in print. And I, I'm telling you, you start paying attention to like any kind of magazine that has to do with fashion, glamour, makeup, uh, celebrities, whatever. Everybody's doing this. Everybody is doing this. I used to do that. Over and over again. Hiding one eye, Mm -hmm. the one eye sign. And it's, uh, according to thevigilantcitizen.com, it's basically the satanic global elite's way of letting you know they control that person. They're, they're being told, you have to pose this way. You've got to cover an eye, or you've got to put your hair over one eye, or you've got to do some little mask over an eye, or something, as a means of letting the world know, we control you. You do what we say. And that's why, that's why girls that sing have to dress scantily. That's mm-hmm. why guys that sing have to, uh, I think one guy, I forget his name, is being forced to walk around in women's clothes. Uh, long-haired guy, a British singer. Uh, uh, I can't think of the name oh, of the band. Harry Styles. Yes, that's him. You know, I guarantee you, he's not loving doing that. Mm-hmm. He's being told to do that. Yeah. And you see him with his one hand oh, too. It's all over the place. That symbol is usually an eye in a triangle, but it's represented by people doing this or this with their fingers, mm-hmm. almost like a peace sign around their eye. I know. I used to do that when I was a kid. Yeah. Oh, I'm well, not going to oh, do that anymore. Well, <laughs> and a lot of people do it in innocence. That's yeah. true. But there's when you're controlled, when you're, if you want to be famous, you play their game. Very true. Nobody gets to the ranks of celebrity or whatever or stardom without sacrificing their soul, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So it's a triangle with an eye. It stands for the lie of man evolving into a god. It's the triangle represents the Trinity, 
which says that humans are divine and they don't need God. That's the whole idea. And it's, so it's a Luciferian symbol that, as we spoke about before, is right there in the back of your dollar bill. And that US, it's the reverse seal of the United States and the Latin words annuit coiptus novus ordo seclorum literally translates into announcing the birth of the new world order. And the pyramid has got a date on it. I think it's 1776. Yeah, it is. And the all-seeing eye is not quite on the top of the pyramid yet. Yeah. It's like the, the globalist plan has not yet been completed. When, mm-hmm. it's, when it sets down, it means they're ready. And I think it's really, really close. That's super scary. It is scary. And it, will, it shows you who's in control of the United States and the banking system and everything else. And what's really interesting, there's more to it than that. We could break down the symbolism in greater detail about the light around it and everything else. But essentially, this is a Masonic symbol as well. And what you're going to find out is the people that control the United States are Masons. And what is a Mason when you think of it in the, in the rudimentary sense of the word? Oh, it... A person that works as a mason does what? They lay bricks. Oh, I was thinking of something completely different. Really? So there was this show that I used to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Sleepy Hollow. And oh, yeah, I remember that. There, there were masons on the show, and like it was like all these men that were dressed in black. They, Ooh. on their uniforms, they actually have like the triangle with the eye in oh, it. Oh, wow, Okay. And that's what I was thinking. I was thinking of them, and they're all very uh, satanic, a very satanic group. So, it, it, and again, that's a, if, was that more of a kid's show, kind of? No. No, it wasn't? Okay, not a kid's show. Okay. Not the one that's on Disney Channel. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> well, I think that that was another way that the media is slowly trying to get us numb to mm-hmm. the idea. Because this there's truth in a lot of that, that the, even though it's the media giving you a TV show that's fictional. Yeah. It's sort of like they're saying, this is a glimpse behind the scenes. You know, yeah, and so, um, so there is the actual brick layers, stone layers are masons. That's a craft, okay. Mm-hmm. And um, but there's the the order of Freemasonry, which is an a, an occult group that men can join or invited to join. And essentially, when you think about it, it goes all the way back to the Tower of Babel, because what did they build the city and the tower out of? Stone and mortar. Yeah, they were masons. Right? So masonry has kept that tradition alive of rebellion against God in a secret occult way. And we're going to go into the Masonic order in another podcast. Wow. That's so that's so ironic you say that. There is a song that I would listen to, and it's called Freemason. And now I'm going to be listening to it with a different viewpoint because I'm like, what? You know, some artists that are famous and controlled by the global elite and have to do what they say— mm-hmm write lyrics sometimes exposing them and guys that do that as an example would be like Kanye. Now I know he's kind of come around to being a Christian or at least he's saying he is, you know? Yeah. But he's speaking against that satanic order. Mm -hmm. And from what I understand, he's walking a thin line because the family he married into is very much controlled by them. The Kardashian family, yeah. So I think he knows, and you know, a lot of people are accusing him of being like schizophrenic or needing yeah, that is like crazy. Yeah, and and he might have bipolar or something like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know him personally. I I I, I'm not here to comment on Kanye at all. Mm -hmm. I think I admire him as an artist and a gifted person, but sometimes he says things and it's like, okay, he knows something. 
Yes. He's on to something or he's aware that somebody's trying to force him or stop him or whatever. Yeah, he'll like go on a tangent and you're just like, and he's not, what are you trying to say? Right, and he's not the only rap artist that's doing that. There's some that oblately, oblique, uh, I mean, um, uh, I can't think of the word I want now. <laughs> but uh, uh, Blatantly. Uh, yeah, very, very um, uh, blatantly, that's the word. <laughs> <laughs> they are very blatantly saying, I'm controlled by the satanic global elite. And these lyrics are letting you know I'm I'm having to do this. I don't like it, and I'm having to do yeah, this. Yeah, like record labels and things like yeah, that. Yeah, big time. And it's all over the world. You can see that. But then many of them are just absolutely controlled by it, and they're almost paying homage to it. And people like Katy Perry and some of their Dark Horse and I know. some of their lyrics like that. And and she was supposedly raised a Christian, you know. Right. So there's there's a lot of that symbolism. We'll go into more of that later, but uh, the symbol of the uh, all-seeing eye on the back of the dollar is incorporated into the United States seal to represent a satanic ritual, which brings about the birth of an antichrist. The pyramid topped by an all-seeing eye is a sign that America is doing everything to bring about the new world order and the birth of, of Satan's son. There's something called the sign of Lucifer. It's hard to describe uh, to our listeners. Uh, it's it's a strange-looking figure. It's It's kind of something of a of a, a strange star shaped way. Yeah. It's a geometric like figure, but in an artistic way. It's got these odd symbols to it, but it's called the sigil of Lucifer. It was first recorded in the middle ages. Okay. And it's, it was in an, an instruction book about black magic and black arts and things like that. So it's supposed to be, it's supposed to stand for the fallen angel Lucifer. It's like his symbol, his seal. It's got a five-pointed star at the top of it. It's red against a black circle background, and it's a strange-looking geometric pattern that kind of looks sinister to me. Yeah, it looks like an upside-down uh, triangle with some weird swirls, and then yeah. it looks like bones on the side of it with <laughs> dots. Right. The These curved line things are probably supposed to be an extension of, like, staffs. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the V, I'm not sure what that kind of represents Yeah. There. Uh, but it's 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 got some sort of indication, and again, it's a man-made thing. But they probably received it from spirits or whatever mm-hmm. demoniac things. The inverted cross is a satanic symbol. An upside-down cross <sighs> is supposed to show. It's supposed to dishonor Christ and his death. It's an act of rebellion to God. Mm-hmm. You know, it shows the central teaching of Satanism. And if you look closely at many many celebrities, you'll see them wearing them. Yes, politicians. Look closely at them. They wear them, you know. It shows that they're involved in Satanism rather than obeying God. And then we talked about Baphomet. That's an image that you can look up these on the Internet if you want to. But uh, it's sort of a goat-headed figure of a person that's both male and female. It's like a male body with breasts. Yes. He's got two wings indicating he's a cherub. Uh, He's got a strange symbol in his lap that kind of looks like the symbol of medicine, the staff mm-hmm. with the serpents around it, but it's a fertility symbol. And he's pointing with one hand up and one hand down, which is supposed to represent as above, so below. And he's got big horns, and there's a light that emanates out of his the top of his head that's supposed to be the light of illumination of Lucifer. Mm-hmm. There's a five-pointed star on yep. his forehead. And uh, there's a lot of these statues being placed by atheists and, and Wiccans in places where people can see them in public, like, you know, public buildings and all, because they're crying out that, you know, you can't put the Ten Commandments or you can't put a nativity scene. So if you get to do that, they get to do this. So some of the popular names of the Baphomet symbol are the Black Goat, the Goat of Mendez, the Scapegoat, and the Judas Goat. Baphomet stands for the powers of darkness along with a goat's fertility. 
Okay. So again, back into that fertility symbol. And then most people are familiar with the pentagram, mm-hmm. which is supposed to be the shape of a goat's head. Yeah. With the ears, the chin, and the, and the horns. And, but it's a five-pointed star. It usually involves a star of somehow enclosed in a circle. But the star is inverted. In other words, the point of the star, instead of going up, goes down. And the two basal points go up for the horns. It stands for evil. It's used to conjure evil spirits. It stands for Satan and the Antichrist dominion over the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They believe they can win. They actually think this. And again, as I mentioned before, if you want to learn more about symbolism and how it's rife throughout culture and media, vigilantcitizen.com. I've tried to reach out to the uh, owner of the website to be a guest and to interview him on the show. He's really good and knowledgeable. I just haven't heard back from him yet, so I'll keep trying. Okay. So I would just encourage you to do research on your own if you want to look into this. It would be a good thing, especially for parents, to become aware of that symbolism. It is in a lot of children's programming, Disney, Mm -hmm. Nickelodeon, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yes. So that's really all I wanted to share this week. It'll be a shorter uh, episode today, but we are going to go into the Masonic Order next week. What is that? That's going to be talking about the connection of the Masons and Freemasonry to the Tower of Babel. Okay. We'll tie all that in and how they are behind the power structures and they are uh, participating in, the, in the, um, this formation of the New World Order. And they have been for a long time. So tune in. Yes. Join us again. Please do. And we'll talk about that. We hope you said something that is edifying and revealing to you. And we thank you for listening today. Yes. Don't forget to subscribe, like, and share, and leave a comment down below if you learned something new or something that you were interested in that we haven't talked about yet. And Zena, thank you for being here. We always love your presence and appreciate your input. Stop it. I don't mind. (laughs) So you guys have a great week and just keep on, uh, keep the faith, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening today. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to Bible Mysteries and share it with a friend. If you want to learn more, you can go to Unlock the Bible Now. That's utbnow.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast. You can even gift a subscription to a friend. That's right. Remember, just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com to join and help us expose the satanic global elite, or make a tax-deductible donation at UTBNow.com. We need your help to fight the global censorship of the truth. Thanks for your support.